0: Never mind boo. Guess there are no theological themes in the 1992 animated film Aladdin. Excuse me? Are you looking at me? Did you go to crossover collab? Did you click on this episode, and now all of a sudden you're walking out on me? Oh, I don't think so. Not right now. You're getting your podcast. So sit down. Oh, they're doing a podcast on Aladdin. There's a big surprise! Okay, Sparky, here's the deal. Straight into
1: it. I absolutely love it. I'm trying to think already of... of what's the other one? Boy, do I feel sheepish.
0: I'm losing to a rug.
1: <laughs> the uh, uh, a, a few... Uh, I can't, I can't.
0: <laughs> uh, you know what? Considering uh, you haven't seen it in a while, you you remember it pretty well. So that, I'm that's trying
1: good. to. Well, it was a good part of our childhoods, you know.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. Definitely,
1: definitely. It, it's it's one of those films where, as an adult, you appreciate the jokes way more um, than when you were a kid because you get the cameos, you get the whole what Robin Williams was going for.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for all of our listeners who just joined us. Um, we are, of course, talking about the legendary 1992 animated Disney film, Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had quite a long break since uh, the end of season two of Crossover Collab. So yeah. sorry to leave you guys in the lurch for so long. Um, yeah. We've been getting our lives sorted out. Uh, I've been finishing my second year of uni. Brandon has been sorting out life in the States.
1: Yeah. Moving so, to America soon. So it's yeah, been excited busy. about
0: that.
1: Yeah, man. It's so cool. I mean, yeah, it's been like a really um big new chapter to my life. And, you know, I'm almost there. Should be living there essentially next month. But yeah, been busy working my butt off and just trying to <laughs> get it all sorted. So but yeah, we've um finally decided to make time and dedicate ourselves to this once again. Um, We still kept ourselves busy with little side projects and keeping ourselves creative, but, you know, this is where we started and this is what we love. We love talking about films, Josh. Oh, yeah. We are so (laughs) passionate about it and, you know, we still keep up to date and we we talk about this stuff all the time, but, no, it's it's nice to just pick one film and talk about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. we, We have
1: Aladdin. And we were just talking about that recently, um when we called earlier this week, weren't we um mm. mainly talking about the the new Aladdin and the old aladdin and the uh, the kind of comparisons, but I'm sure we'll get to that later in this episode um when Wait, was the last'
0: there's a there's a new aladdin
1: huh
0: I thought there was only one Aladdin.
1: Oh, there we are. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you are getting our opinion on it.
0: I, I'm sure if they made if they remade the Aladdin film, I would know about <laughs> it and it would have like a 57% on Metacritic.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> Well, um, yeah, we're we're not um gonna be subtle with our commentary here. <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, let's talk about the original, the the OG, the the Gort, um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Aladdin, the, the film that started off Disney's nineties obsession with hiring comedians to play a side character. Um, yes, and they never they never quite landed on the the same magic that, as we've mentioned at the start that Robin Williams brought to the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I didn't even realize, you know, why I wanted to watch Aladdin like last week. Um mm-hmm. it took me a minute to realize that I was watching Aladdin like the day after it would have been Robin Williams's 70th birthday. Yeah. And that that really hit me that it was like, you know, I obviously don't know the guy. Mm-hmm. Um I wish I did. But yeah. um yeah, the world's lost a legend who i think has inspired so many other people like voice actors comedians and just people in general you know um Mm -hmm. so many inspiring roles that he's played and of course one of those that we're going to look at today is that of the genie um yeah someone who takes aladdin and doesn't just give him what he wants the riches and the fame but he actually gives aladdin what he needs through that um aladdin's able to learn that you know who he was at the start his character his uh humility was was what was good about him and that he was losing all of that because of these three wishes kind of thing so the genie Mm. is just such a great character for that because he allows aladdin to grow and be comfortable with who he is and to realize you know that the the (laughs) pretty stereotypical message of money can't buy everything and and all that but you know it's delivered in such a heartwarming way and uh yeah
1: yeah what robin williams brings to it is something so unique that i um don't think a lot of other films do Mm. um because as you said you have side characters and i'm sorry to bring it up so soon but when you look at Will Smith, <laughs> <laughs> bless is, him,
0: bless yeah, him. He tried his best. He
1: he did. Uh, well, it's the same thing as like even in so many movies where people critique the actor for bad writing. It's like the, yeah, the actor totally. did what they could with it. Um, it's yeah, just yeah. you know, it's not Will Smith's fault, but. At the end of the day, Will Smith isn't a comedian. He's a fantastic actor and one of my favorite, personally. I watched a lot of him growing up, but he's mm. he's not a comedian. Um, so Ooh, he doesn't hot
0: take, Brandon. <laughs> I'm just saying
1: he can he can do some funny stuff. I mean, he was funny in Fresh Prince. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like,
0: but he know... didn't write the. Well, did he write the show? I'm I'm showing how little I actually know about how it was made.
1: Uh, I think he. Was involved in a lot of it, I believe. I think, particularly towards the end, he got um, yeah. involved with most of the writing. But again, yeah, I'm speaking from little knowledge also. So, but hey, when I talk about Fresh Prince, so, um, <laughs> but yeah, and even him as a side character, it was, don't get me wrong, it was still nice, it was tasteful. But at the end of the day, um, Robin Williams brings such diversity to
0: While still remaining like a side character as well, I think is quite yeah. important to recognise because like in in the in the remake, if the if there was no genie character, if there was no Will Smith, my reasons for watching that film would go down from 0.5 point five to negative naught point five. <laughs> um Yeah. And then where would we be? So, mm-hmm. you know, like I, the fact that they, they made the genie, because they obviously knew how popular he was as a character in the original, they were like, oh, yeah, we've got we to gotta make this guy the the main event, the main deal. And as a result, I feel like all the other characters suffered. There was very, like, if you think, they added half an hour to the runtime of the original mm-hmm. yeah, and then actually managed to take away from the characterization of the original. Mm-hmm. Like, it takes, what, uh, the first minute of the film to learn, like, who Jafar is and what his motivations are. Yeah, And true. yet he doesn't feel like this really stereotypical villain. There's nuance mm-hmm. to it. And over the course of the film, there's enough screen time with him to realize that, like, he is someone who believes he is genuinely better than everyone else and that he, does, he hasn't been given the station that he deserves. And yeah. uh, in that sense... Uh he's very much like uh his parrot's namesake, Iago, from the Shakespeare play Othello, had to get that in because uh we obsessed over Iago in English class almost as much as people obsess over Genie and Aladdin. All right. Um so yeah, like this idea, you know, uh he he was uh just to paraphrase uh Shakespeare. He he was just this dude who like wanted to be the general's right hand man he wanted to be the best of the best and then he got denied effectively he got denied a promotion when he believed he deserved it and a lot of that goes hand in hand with his other jealousies and then he's like right that's it i'm gonna make everyone suffer very similar to what jafar ends up doing Mm -hmm. um but then you know you've got other characters like like even the sultan is characterized and he plays a very minor role but this idea that his character moves from like being manipulated by his right hand man, the very stereotypical, like if you think of Theoden in Lord of the Rings as well, the idea yeah. of the advisor who actually is manipulating negatively the king.
1: Yeah. And yeah, then
0: true. the he gets back his authority and the Sultan's like, No, I am the Sultan. I've I've got power over this guy. Um so that's cool. Aladdin, mm-hmm. of course, probably gets the most characterization in that film being the title character and the main character. Yeah. Um you know, going going from, as I say, this poor kid who has to steal to survive and has very little sense of self-worth to then realizing that it's not about that external trappings. It's actually about, you know, the heart that he has inside. And if he yeah. loses who he is as a person, then what's the point?
1: Yeah, um, exactly.
0: So, yeah, like you could name any, any character in, in that film. And I feel like they've got twice the characterization they ended up having in the longer remake. Uh, which was sad to see Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no I I totally agree Um, and yeah I think it's really interesting when we're looking at um, just because I haven't watched Aladdin in a while as well so I'm just trying to review it in my head a little bit Um, for me the kind of like climax of it isn't necessarily um, him falling in love with Jasmine it's I think it's definitely, Then this shows how important the genie is. It's, you know, the mm. idea of genie being freed. The idea yeah, of, yeah. like, how, because I think it's a very clear example and a demonstration of how Aladdin's heart has changed.
0: Um, yeah, yeah.
1: And I guess it, you know, it ties into that biblical theme of, like, works of, well, in reference to works, they don't necessarily cause salvation, but works um, are an expression of what the heart, um, what the human heart is, what that, uh, that specific person's heart is set on. And we can see, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as you said there, like there's definitely great character development with Aladdin. And I think that's demonstrated most by him actually committing to freeing Genie with yeah, his last yeah. wish. Um, so, yeah. Um, and what's just came to mind there as well is a lot of interesting power dynamics, um, which I think will be interesting to to touch on. And mm. the, what instantly comes to my mind is just how Jafar wants to become the most powerful being in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, we're talking about a fictional world without a god, um, but the idea of like this genie as a god but somehow he becomes very restricted um with yeah
0: that. it's a good metaphor i think um yeah i i mean cuz again just based on the world building of aladdin because again uh, i think one of the unfair criticisms that's leveled against it is this idea that you know um it suffers from orientalism that mm. it uh misrepresents the middle east uh, yeah, that yeah, it's yeah. it's inauthentic that kind of thing. It would be a valid criticism to make uh, in a lot of cases, but I think for this example, Aladdin is set in Agrabah, which is deliberately a fictional city, and mm-hmm. they do, they make a point, like a lot of the like earlier Disney films did as well. Um, they made a very deliberate point of showing like this is not what we think the Middle East is like. This yeah, is yeah. not what we think like Arabs are like. Mm -hmm. Um, this is just an exotic setting for a film where we can tell like a very basic story and just you know because each disney film that's i feel it's one of the selling points of disney is that you know you you throw another dvd in the dvd player and there you go you're off to another land you know there are all these magical versions these romanticized versions of different places that yeah are based on real world locations but with enough like poetic justice, uh, an artistic intent to then shift it into poetic license, I mean. Um, Mm, Sorry, all of you uh, literary critics who just uh, cringed (laughs) at me right there and then for saying yet another thing, I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, But yeah, this idea of poetic license that they're able to take very basic elements. I mean, you know, did anyone in 1992 seriously critique the film for not being authentic to the a thousand and one Arabian nights, like all, all the,
1: yeah, (laughs) all the
0: ancient, like, you know, mythology and stuff. Um, But so, yeah, my point for that is within the, within the world building of this fictional version of Agrabah, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a fictional place. um, Mm -hmm. The idea that the genie is used as this metaphor, almost for like the more you, want to control things the more it controls you kind of thing in the mm-hmm. sense that the more power uh the genie has uh the less he can do with that power and the mm-hmm. less uh agency he has as a person um i feel like that can that can apply to what we see in the real world yeah, the idea yeah. that you know um Sometimes, if if people become obsessed with getting more possessions or becoming richer, then their possessions possess them. That classic sentiment uh, yeah. that you know they are therefore almost a slave to their mm. own success because they have to keep it up. Yeah, um, they're, they're and,
1: bound by loyalty to what they think is most important. You know, they've, they yeah. feel they've worked so hard to to get those possessions and to work towards, or is that like? to lose them is to essentially get rid of their own life's meaning.
0: Precisely. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny that we get onto this because um, I just finished reading uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity today. Mm. Um, nice. And uh, he talks about this idea that, um, so he says at the start of the book about God having a personality to him. And then oh, yeah. by the end of the book, he goes on to argue that, god is the only being that has personality because wow. when we act of our own accord so thinking about this kind of genie metaphor keeping that at the back of our minds mm-hmm. um this idea that if we live for ourselves we are purely like pulled to and fro by the circumstances that god is here um you know past generations things that were passed down to us uh our environment any stimulus our own hearts' desires, that kind of thing. So there is no sense of of self. Uh, mm-hmm. So what we refer to as ourselves is really just a collection of like cause and effect. Um and right. this idea that we're like slaves to our own desires and needs. Mm-hmm. Um in a similar way to this idea of, you know, um genie not having any freedom because of this power that he has. And then we see that same thing being passed on in a sense to aladdin firstly because he uh he depends on genie and therefore Mm. restricts his own freedom as to Mm. what he can do he you know he's less kind to people he uh doesn't give genie his freedom he's got this sense of oh without you i'm no one so he feels trapped um yeah even uh, even aladdin ends up kind of slave to his own desires at one point and then breaks Mm. free from it Um, and ends up becoming liberated in his kind of selflessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Jafar, we see as the villain, is ultimately condemned by his own obsession with power and, and greed, and that he follows his desires to their natural outcome and becomes the most trapped character by the end, because he is literally consigned to oblivion, like thrown into the the middle of the desert in a lamp unable to escape with all this infinite power he can do nothing with um so kind of applying that to lewis's ideas um Mm -hmm. this sense that actually yeah we are most ourselves when we sacrifice ourselves uh, Mm -hmm. when we give up self and our passions and our desires um and that's kind of what he uh, alludes to as um jesus saying you know to die to yourself daily to sacrifice self not in order to gain this personality that god gives us Mm -hmm. but in order to you know first and foremost sacrifice ourselves to god and Mm -hmm. and all that salvation and the purification and justification Mm -hmm. um but then you know we end up becoming more ourselves as a result of that sacrifice Um, yeah so yeah it's uh, that's obviously again this is the this is the point about 20 minutes in where we say you know this movie isn't a theological film it <laughs> yeah, wasn't, exactly <laughs> wasn't created by christians because if it was it would probably have like infinitely less of a message and less characterization yeah um but you know the there are things we can glean out of these Absolutely. stories and it's a timeless story the whole rags to riches thing <sighs> yeah um, exactly. and it's a nice a nice spin on the rags to riches idea um
1: but definite i mean yeah and
0: you know all, all truth has you know some so, like truth points us to god you know
1: yeah exactly well this this story i think particularly sparks quite a few um philosophical and ethical questions in general um but, but before i go on to that i just wanted to make one very short comment in how you mentioned that lewis commented on god being the only person that has character very much reinforced when he says to Moses, I am.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very much like,
1: yeah, completely. Like he doesn't depend on anyone, anything. And he, his character is what his character is, which is very good. And what we call good and what we know to actually be good is all in reference to him, to his very being very character. Um, So, yeah, I just want to say that. I think that that's really cool. And I, I always love to reinforce a particular argument or point with um, a biblical reference. So there yeah, you are. A yeah, little, little salt to the meal there. Um, I mean,
0: that's that's one thing, just to quickly turn this into a mere Christianity review. Um, <laughs> it's one thing that's very evident from the book is that C.S. Lewis has done his homework. And oh, he's he's read the Bible and is effectively like, by talking about what the orthodox views of the church have been throughout time, Mm-hmm. Uh, not the views of the Orthodox Church, but the Orthodox views, Orthodox of, the views of the Church. Yeah. So yeah. Thing, things that weren't <clears throat> divisive matters, um, yeah. he purely talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that all of those things, like you can hear the echoes, in a sense, from the Bible. Yeah. Um, and he's effectively just explaining it in a way that was relevant to his generation. I think it's relevant to any generation, really, but oh, in terms much. of the... Uh, the illustrations he used were ways of describing things in the Bible that are incredibly mysterious. He leaves things mysterious as well, doesn't claim to have all the answers on things. Yeah. But yeah, as you kind of mentioned there, you, uh, with having that support from the Bible, um, I think there's, well, just from from what I remember, there doesn't seem to be anything he says that can't be like backed up with a scripture, you know? Exactly. Um, he doesn't do it himself uh which is surprising yes this because you know it was originally delivered as a set of radio talks so i imagine like he wouldn't have been sat there with a bible on his knee and like right and i'm going to take you to this verse here it was deliberately targeted at like just lay people and the general public kind of thing Mm -hmm. as a as a kind of uh argument to outsiders as well like an apologetics idea yeah. of like why christianity as a worldview is coherent and why it works so you know um I, I would recommend for anyone who does read it to to have a look in the bible to see the things that kind of reinforce his mm-hmm. points or rather see that his points are Reinforcing what the Bible already says, kind of thing. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, very much. That's actually. It. Well, I
0: don't know. I don't know which is more correct to say, uh, which, which one's doing the reinforcing here. Uh, I don't. I don't want to make it seem like the Bible needed improving on, but I, I also don't want to make it seem like the Bible was written just to prove C.S. Lewis's point correct.
1: Well, yeah, true, true. I'm I mean, at a
0: bit of a dilemma here. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Well, I
1: mean, uh, naturally. It's an extension, you know. Like it's funny because people assume that you know revelation is the very end of well, it's the end of the biblical narrative. But you know, as most people say, we're we're in the new New Testament. You know, there are extensions <laughs> on there that very much tied to to the Bible, but obviously that they don't need to be clued in, included in the biblical narrative. But I think Lewis's um, work is a very natural and i think very well intended um and necessary extension from um biblical ideas and what we should have today so i mean yeah you know even though he doesn't reference it you can clearly see the the ties that are, are there and that are rooted and, you know anyone that is well first in the entire Bible should be able to see these things and, and clarify them. So, yeah, I, I think it's that weird thing of, of course, not like the Bible wasn't written to, for C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis doesn't need to, <laughs> like, improve scripture as such. But um, I think his extension rooted in the, you know, Protestant slash Reformed idea of sola scriptura, you know, and you don't necessarily need to involve the scripture for it to be bereaving in his work, but yeah, you know it should be evident. Anyway, that was a a long tangent that probably could have been shortened down significantly, but hey.
0: hey <laughs> um i i I'm sure if you're listening at home you're probably thinking uh why why have these two misogynists not mentioned Princess Jasmine yet uh so, uh, so yes. let's do that um, yeah so I mean it, again um the very the very obvious surface level thing is that she's a subversion of the traditional Disney princess in the sense that mm. she doesn't just you know want to marry a prince, and that's her entire reason for being though after rewatching cinderella a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. i i think the prince is the one that gets uh done bad in that film uh in terms yeah. of character development How are you? but anywho <laughs> well it's just that he gets like two minutes of screen time in that two That's minutes true. he shows a lot of character like there's a sense of you you can learn a lot about him from that limited time uh, a, a lot of people say, you know, he's just like a mannequin in that film, but he is. A, he's got personality. It's just yeah. that for some reason they decided to only include him for like 30 seconds. Um, well, yeah. But, you know, so, yeah, Princess Jasmine, she's not interested in in marrying the, the prince or any prince, quite frankly. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot that try to win her affection because it's nearly her. I think it's her 18th birthday. I think that's
1: um, it. Um, cause I in think the... she's... Oh, it depends, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think it's in the Laws of the Land, so the Laws of Agrabah. Um, the princess must marry uh, by the time she turns 18, I believe it is, or whatever. Right, okay. I, I think it's uh, 18 feels like the right... It's definitely not as young as 16, because I think I'd be a bit... It's Sleeping Beauty well, weirds me out enough without that's... thinking about the fact that she's a
1: uh, teenager. Well, well, yeah, true. I'm going to make... It's a little uncomfortable because I remember seeing a while back um, just like, you know, those random fact videos about like films and stuff like that or TV oh, yeah, shows.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I, I came across one about Aladdin and I think she might, if I remember, she, she's either 14 or 16, possibly. But because you mentioned that like the whole marriage by 18 thing, pops up. I'm not sure. I'm... Should we have a little... I'm going to have a little Google.
0: Yeah. What a weird um... thing to Google, but I mean... (laughs) Okay, that's according to Disney Princess Wiki. Soon to be 16-year-old. Oh, that's even worse. (laughs) Oh man! Uh... she was in like year nine, she was at, like year ten or something. But it's just, it's a cultural thing, right? Because you know, in terms of if you think of uh, well, to be fair, a, yeah, historical view of how old Mary was, they reckon that Mary was well, like around twelve, fourteen when she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. I've heard a lot of varying accounts, but I know they don't go any younger than twelve, so. Mm -hmm. it's probably around 1416 again
1: yeah which is anyway i mean at the end of the day the reason that that's so uncomfortable is because we have a very different kind of culture so yeah
0: yeah yeah and i think as well it's something we mentioned again with Cole, if you remember back way yonder in the past you know talking about that idea of you know um the sexualization of today's culture, especially now as it's beginning to become younger and younger. Yeah. Uh, in terms of arranged marriages and things, it was, it wasn't for that. It wasn't for. Uh, That's the it. It S word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was well, usually yeah. for like uh, martial alliances and political alliances and and things. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, once they were old enough to have kids, maybe maybe they'd. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the unthinkable. (laughs) But anyway, to to get back to a point when I was actually going somewhere with this. So Jasmine has to get married by her next birthday. And Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to because she wants to marry out of love, not as an arranged marriage. That's that's basically her character motivation. Mm -hmm. And then she meets Aladdin and then effectively falls in love at first sight because she effectively sees him for his his character and for his integrity and his you know he's kind hearted and yeah 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 he he is free as well that's something else that she's very attracted to is that he's not tied down by royal duties and and all of that Mm -hmm. um so it's quite quite a good sort of foil character in a sense uh i guess not in the traditional sense because they're not like adversaries or anything Mm -hmm. but in terms of they both feel trapped um they literally say it at the same time in the film they're like it just makes me feel trapped 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 trapped. (laughs) Uh, it's like you said the same thing as me oh you said jinx still jinx jinx again that kind of thing our mental synchronization uh has just one explanation So, uh, yeah, they exist as like foils to each other. Uh, Aladdin feels trapped because he doesn't have enough status and wealth and things. Whereas uh, Princess Jasmine feels trapped by her wealth and status and things uh, because of the responsibilities that come with it. And they kind of have, I guess, in a sense, a role reversal. She gets to see what it's like to be on the streets and have nothing and aladdin gets to see what it's like to have all these responsibilities and people that you need to please yeah and they end up learning a bit from each other's perspectives and i think becoming more rounded characters as a result which Mm. is why i I think they're great for each other um and the fact that like aladdin is challenged because initially you know we're, we're on aladdin's side in the film as the audience we want him to get what he wants because he's a nice guy and he gives his the bread that he worked so hard to steal <laughs> um <laughs> you know he's he's dodged these guards and things it's like if he could afford to pay for him maybe he would but he's got no choice living on the streets guys got to eat other than that we all get along um mm-hmm. so yeah like um he he goes to all of that effort and nearly gets himself killed several times and then ends up giving that to some kids mm-hmm. on the street that he sees that are also hungry so yeah you know the um we we root for him for a lot of reasons but it's very clear yeah. he's got a heroic personality he's a good natured character and then we slowly see that fall apart because of this lie that he builds up uh, he yeah. tries to be more than he is and kind of doesn't realize that that's not how you become more than you are he already was in a sense uh in that idea of self-sacrifice becoming more than himself you know as we talked about earlier with the c.s lewis reference yeah um so yeah, the the fact that Jasmine is like effectively built up as intelligent enough to realize that he's lying and you know the idea that well yeah, she feels betrayed that he he's basically just after the same thing that all the other princes were after, uh which is this idea of viewing her as a prize to be won. Um and so she's able to you know challenge the traditional Disney view, which is great and all that, but then it mm-hmm. also adds more nuance to it because it's like well it's not just you know her standing up for herself at the expense of others it actually makes aladdin become a better person by realizing that actually no she she isn't just this prize to be won so yeah you know this sense that all the characters grow with each other um that they kind of yeah it's it's good to see and i guess in that Mm. sense we can relate that a bit to how discipleship is supposed to work Mm. um we all have different starting points in terms of social status in terms of our quote-unquote personality in terms of you know our um like what we are used to what our tendencies are that kind of thing Mm. so we all have different starting points and what we might see as something good about someone else's life they might not see as a good thing from their perspective because they know like say with princess jasmine she knows that wealth and riches isn't everything because of the responsibilities with it Mm -hmm. um and aladdin knows that the kind of quote-unquote freedom isn't everything because guys got to eat so yeah yeah in that sense with discipleship there's a sense of empathy that you know we come to understand other people's struggles we get to Mm -hmm. realize we're not the center of the universe and then also Effectively by being foils to each other, by by allowing our flaws and our strengths to play off one another, we can all kind of grow. As long as, of course, it remains centered on that biblical idea of drawing exactly. close to God, of letting him convict us and change us, but by yeah. willing to because it's a very biblical thing, say in James, for example, the idea of like confessing sins to one another and of mm. being being vulnerable in the right context. Yeah, in the definitely. sense that you're being vulnerable around people that you know, like you're effectively exposing the chink in the armor to someone that you know is like a good blacksmith who can cover it up and make it stronger than it was before. That kind of idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, it, that works really well with. I read somewhere a while ago, and thinking about it, it's so true. And particularly after watching The Chosen as well, which like demonstrates that. Um, you know, for. Film, well, it's a TV show, but you know. um. <laughs> but thinking about like the two disciples, um, Simon the Zealot and obviously Matthew, who was once a tax collector.
0: Yeah. They yeah.
1: couldn't be further apart in terms <laughs> of their characters. Like their entire history is so different from each other. Like yeah. as a writer put it, as Simon the Zealot, deep down would have wanted to kill Matthew because oh, yeah, he definite. betrayed their people. Um and obviously if if you're not aware of uh, the context behind you know, obviously like Matthew and tax and stuff like that, like they were a people who aligned themselves for profit with the Roman state, which was just such a massive betrayal, slap to the face um to the Jewish people. Um, so And the Zealots were an extremist group who essentially killed anyone and took very extreme actions against mainly the Roman state, but anyone that kind of stood against God and his people. Mm. So you've got those two people sat in a camp united by (laughs) Christ. (laughs) You know, they'll have definitely at least argued or like there would have been at least some tension. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, funny enough, the chosen TV show, demonstrates the tension more so between Simon Peter um, and Matthew because it shows a little bit of history between them, like um, Matthew charging tax, basically, and um, going against Peter and Andrew when they were fishing and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Um, I
0: can't believe they made that cannon. That's like, wow. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, man, it's it, it's really cool to see. But yeah, kind of linking that back to your point, in that how you have two people from separate backgrounds, and and I guess it it always works when we are united in Christ because He unites, obviously, Jew and Gentile, all that are yeah, very different. Yeah. Um, I mean,
0: those distinctions break down in Christ. That's the whole point, you know. Exactly, you're either it, dead to sin or alive in Christ. Um, yeah. That that becomes great because it's like well nothing from before really matters because you are relying on Jesus for that salvation and that's the the sense of like the new man uh, which is something that Paul talks about a lot in his letters. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, but yeah, you definitely see the idea with obviously Aladdin and Jasmine, the idea of two kind of backgrounds. But yeah, when you when you break it down they aren't that different. Their hearts are somewhat in the same place, as you said there. They both feel trapped. And, you know, like, if you look at the two characters of Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector, they were still both trapped in their own ways and had their own problems and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's interesting how they can actually learn from each other. And, like I said, the the Chosen TV show, I'm a big advocate of it. I think it's a fantastic depiction um, and I will argue anyone that says otherwise because I think the only thing that would be said against it is that it adds a little thing here and there which it has to in terms of yeah. artistic choice because there's only a limited amount of information within the Gospels and um, that yeah, are written yeah. down um, but yeah I, I think it, it's, and
0: again like as long as it's this idea that it's an adaptation rather than a hard retelling. Exactly. Um, That's the point. I think they're allowed again. It's that sense of poetic license. um, Yeah, completely. They're operating under that like. You know, as long as it it's in the right, I think a lot of it as well, from what I've heard, has been done like prayerfully, or at least decided by like a group of Christians rather than yeah. just one person going ah well, well I think Jesus would have eaten Doritos if they had Doritos at that time, you know like um,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly.
0: But there is a sense, uh, at least from what I've heard of it, because I'm one of those heathens who hasn't seen a popular culture show Jesus film watch it, yet. Watch it. Um, i know i i am a bad christian until i've watched <laughs> uh, the chosen on on the chosen.com um but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i i think yeah the idea that anyway we can talk about that another time <laughs> yeah yeah
1: definitely i mean yeah <laughs> who knows you might actually watch it all and we we'll end up doing an episode on it which would be who knows who knows who
0: even knows anymore what we're gonna do from one moment to the next that part where uh, genie lists all the things that he can't do yes i just wanted to have a a little quick look at that in comparison to you know obviously the the tenets that uh god is omnipotent um yeah yeah, so so you know the things that genie can't do and then look in and say oh well well can god do that you know that's Um, a really interesting point and this is what i'm
1: referring to before you start this is literally what i was referring to in terms of a lot of philosophical questions can come from this, particularly around the power of the genie. So this is perfect, actually. Please continue.
0: Cool. Um. So you know he he starts off with the the classic, uh, no, no wishing for more wishes. Yeah. Um. And then to which people reply, oh, I'd wish for infinite genies. Thanks, James Acaster, for <laughs> ruining the film Aladdin made in nineteen ninety two by Disney Animation Studios. Wow, that's pretty clever. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got a point. Uh, <laughs> because he said it it, it covers his second wish which is more friends um so Mm. but um yeah so so the wishing for more wishes thing um this sense that i I think in terms of what the genie kind of represents in mythology with that classic thing of you can only have so many requests this idea of like making people focus on what they want the most um and it, it creates a very sort of inward-looking perspective when they ask Genie for stuff. It's like, oh, well, what do I want, you know? So mm-hmm. the fact that within those parameters, Aladdin is even able to conceive of, like, well, what would you want, Genie, kind of thing. Mm. um, It's a very interesting spin on it, and I, I yeah. like that, like, the whole freeing the Genie arc. um, But it makes me think about, you know, when we ask God for things... um. Particularly, you know, it's a cheap shot, but particularly in like prosperity gospel churches, there is this kind of view of God almost being like a genie who can answer every prayer you make. He can heal all your diseases. He can give you your dream job, your dream house, your dream family, you know, anything you want and he'll give you it. And, you know, they find parts of the Bible ripped out of context that say things like that, like anything you ask for in my name, I'll give it to you. And they don't explain what in my name means. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we look at this model of prayer that like Jesus provides through the Lord's prayer, um, Mm -hmm. the idea, you know, don't go babbling on as the pagans do just pray for, pray for these things, um, Mm -hmm. and being able to pray along with the will of the father. Uh, so this idea, you know, God can obviously grant infinite wishes (laughs) that's, Mm -hmm. that's not beyond him. But in the sense that, you know, as we see with the genie, a lot of the wishes cause people to turn inward. But yeah. a lot of what the Lord's Prayer is about is this idea of, look, just provide what I need to get through the day. And then all the rest of it is focused on Jesus, you know, yeah. and and the Trinity, this idea of like being empowered by the Holy Spirit, praying to our Father through the mediator, the Son, yeah. um, like reminding god of his well not reminding him but reminding ourselves of his sovereignty mm-hmm. and things that he has control over all things that he can provide for our every need um yeah. that he can deliver us from evil all of that so all of these things that are essential to christianity that we kind of repeat every time we pray the lord's prayer um so that was a you know one thing i guess um mm-hmm. yeah the second thing, and this is quite an obvious one, this is kind of the jokey one, but... um, I can't bring people back from the dead. <laughs> I've tried it before. It's Believe me, it's not a pretty picture. It's not! <laughs> um, I, I love that part. Yeah,
1: I definitely. love how it's animated.
0: I oh, love it's the great. sound effects. And obviously Robin Williams does like 10 times better. Well, probably like 50 times better of vocal performance than I ever will. Um, mm. But it won't stop me from trying. Damn it,
1: that's true.
0: Because <laughs> he's inspired me. Um, yeah, right. Obviously, God can bring people back from the dead. That's you know, case closed. Um, yeah. But then the last one I wanted to talk about, which I think is might be an interesting one to end on, this idea that genie can't make people fall in, fall in love, or at least that he won't make people fall in love. Yeah, uh, because of course we see this idea in the Bible as well of this weird blend uh well maybe calvinists wouldn't say it's a blend but this weird blend between the determined reality that god sets us in this idea that he is sovereign over all things he can do whatever he wants he can tell whatever story he wants using the idea of god as the author um and yet he still gives us the freedom to decide not to follow him um i think yeah. very much goes along the lines of that sort of you know genie can't make people fall in love he wants that to be up to people's choice uh yeah. in the same way you know we we see that with god and um, that yeah. you know god gives us that choice to love him or, or not to love him and mm-hmm. that if we weren't given a choice there'd be no point <laughs> to all yeah. of it
1: exactly um I, I guess yeah i don't know i guess it's just that kind of thing of like god definitely provides us with um, opportunities, decisions. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is well, the yeah obvious, but I mean, I, I guess it's also that thing of you know you want someone to. If we think about how people love us, we don't want to force people to love us. We want to give people the opportunity to show their love to us, to actually express yeah, yeah. their genuine affection, um, for us. You know, and it's it's a very basic simple idea but like mm-hmm. it, it can definitely change the perspective on because you hear the argument a lot of you know well do I have free will because God says I have to follow him anyway and I've got to love him but it's like well in terms of not being trapped by sin it's like you're very welcome to be trapped by sin I don't know why I'd want to go to it but you know by all means you're welcome to do that yeah but I have the opportunity right here for you to work towards that well, <laughs> work towards it, maybe not. Although Old Testament, yes, the, the invitation to be um, saved by it through Jesus. Um, and then obviously our works within the new church aren't in any way tied to our salvation, but are an, an expression of our love for Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah which is still necessary.
0: I I think as well, um, just based on what we were talking about at the start, um, of how the thing that Aladdin wants isn't actually beneficial to him because he's very short-sighted in the sense that, oh, um, like Jasmine can only marry me if I'm a prince, so I need to become a prince. Hmm. Uh, so he wishes to become a prince without yeah. thinking about the long the term, the bigger picture. Um, yeah. And Genie grants the wish because he's effectively, as long as it's within his parameters that he's set, I mean, with Jafar, because he's attached to Aladdin, we see G- the Genie is very hesitant to grant Jafar's wishes, but he has no power to deny what is wished from him. Um, yeah. He's effectively like an amoral agent in that sense. He just gives people what they want as yeah. long as it doesn't break his own rules. Mm-hmm. Um but I, th- I feel like in the sense of what God does uh, in terms of providing opportunities, um, sometimes we can be provided an opportunity that we think is good and we can maybe even second, well, not second guess, but um, assume what God meant by providing that opportunity. Mm. So say we're provided with a job. Uh, yeah. God might provide that for us and we might just go, oh, right, it's because God wants me to be materially wealthy and successful mm. and to have my dream job or whatever. But who yeah. knows? God might use that job for a completely different purpose. He might use it to bring us into a place where we're more dependent on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you get like a belligerent boss who you have to learn to love and then learn to, you know, know like how much to stand up for yourself and how much to just let slide, you know, maybe that's a lesson God wants to teach you through that. Or maybe it's about diligence and discipline and learning to do hard work, even if it's not what you want to do, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Stuff that challenges
1: our, our flesh and our, our character.
0: Yeah. That's the thing. Because obviously when we wish for things, we want stuff that makes things easier for our flesh in that sense. Mm -hmm. But, god actually wants us to do away with the flesh entirely and Mm -hmm. to live in the spirit and to live for god and to let him work through us and that requires a lot of surgically removing those parts of us that desire things that aren't god yeah um and i think we can see a bit of that in aladdin the sense that with retrospect you can see that actually you know um that wish that was given to aladdin it did him good in the end but not for the reason that he thought because it ultimately showed him that what he wanted wasn't good for him in that sense. Yeah, It allowed him to get close to Jasmine in terms of proximity, but in terms of, on a personal level, he ends up uh, drifting further apart from her than they were at the start of the film because of this wealth and stuff. And he ends up becoming just as big-headed and arrogant as all the other princes, and so learns to move past that. And so the wish in itself becomes, like, a hidden lesson, I suppose. Um, Mm. You do get that a lot. I know, like, from other versions of the sort of, even if it's not a genie, but the sense of, like, I guess, patron, uh, someone who just gives out wishes, has Mm. this power. Um, You do get the sense there's, like, a cruel irony a lot of the time, especially when it's, like, a deal with the devil type of story, where the thing that someone wishes for becomes their undoing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think... Yeah, in terms of Aladdin, we see that example of like the wish becomes his undoing in some regards, but then he's able to move past it and it turns into, you know, a lesson in character and becoming a better person. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, my argument is that God does the same. And sometimes we can only see why he's given us an opportunity a month after the fact, a year Mm -hmm. after the fact, a decade, you know, like we can look back along our lives and see how, oh, maybe God allowed this to happen so that this would happen. Um, yeah. And we can only really know just how much work he's been doing behind the scenes. Yeah. Until we meet with him in heaven. So. Exactly.
1: Well, that's it. It's you know, it very much encapsulates the very thing he says to Job, which is like, "Were you there when I formed this and this the universe? Do you have any idea what goes on?" And you know, in a in a very humble and still loving way, how insignificant. You are in terms of what else goes on um so yeah. it's you know it's it's a tough pill to swallow, but very much the God delivers what is good and what is necessary, and we are not in a position to um we're in a position to definitely question him to respond to him, which a lot of people feel like they don't have but we're not in a position to have authority or to comment on the entire situation because we don't know that. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's very much why Jesus allows us, um, sorry, requests from us to be patient and loving with our enemies.
0: Yeah. We can yeah. never
1: know the full context, but all we do know is God is the ultimate authority and knows all. So we put our faith in him and yeah.
0: Yeah.